Yeah, bad example. <laughs> All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, today, uh, my name is Eli, in case any of you don't know me, uh, my wife and I, we, we have the absolute honor and privilege to lead the youth and family ministry. Um, it, it's awesome. Uh, so as you know, we've been kind of talking about already this morning, uh, we're approaching Christmas time, New Year's. Uh, in a, you know, like, like Chris was talking about his welcome, you know, so, sometimes this season is, for some of us, it just makes us glow and just sing Christmas carols as we like drift off to sleep. And for others of us, it's like, that is misdemeanor uh, disturbance of the peace when you sing like that, you know, like, stop. <laughs> uh, I tend to fall into that camp a little bit. Uh, it gets a little, little too much for me. But... Christmas and New Year's, I bet just what you wanted for Christmas this year, especially, especially the young, the, the, the campus, teens, and down, I really bet what you're wanting for Christmas this year is just an old hand-me-down, like your brother or your older brother or sisters, their old stuff just getting handed down to you. I mean, that's what I always wanted when I was a kid. It's like, please, can I get my brother's old stuff? Right? And then, and then, of course, in the new year, it's like, man, I really hope this next year is like the same, or maybe it's a little worse than last year, because like, it was top notch. <laughs> no, of course not, right? We want, we want, for Christmas, we want something new, and for the new year, we want, we want something new. It's a new year. And so today, we're going to be exploring this theme of knowing God's newness, so if it's like, it doesn't come out real well, but that's what I mean when I say newness, not like noon-ish or something like that. Um, so, and we're also going to be doing this in the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel uh, I've been reading and studying lately is, man, it's, it is awesome stuff. So, and, and honestly, I was really, uh, it's so hard to go through an entire book of the Old Testament in a, in a sermon, and so I really just prayed and, and was reading the scripture and like, man, what is the theme? What is the thing that sticks out the absolute most out of these whole, there's 48 chapters, it's pretty long, and it, it just hit me. It's like, it's, it's this idea of new, of God making things new. So we're going to be talking about the newness of God, and I'm going to, as we go through today's message, I'll be I'm going to tell you guys a little bit, fill you in on kind of what, what's going on in the book of Ezekiel, and then we'll, we'll just dive into a few passages from the book. Okay, so the prophet Ezekiel, he lived in a hopeless time, one in which Israel had been carried off into captivity in Babylon. And so Ezekiel, he was actually, before he was carried off into captivity with everybody else, he was actually a priest serving in the temple. And so when everything was carried off, so his job was also carried. He was fired from ministry. And, you know, and also, too, the, the man that was sitting on the throne at the time that he was serving as a priest, his name was Jehoiachin. And Jehoiachin was actually an Egyptian who Pharaoh, uh, basically, he had an Egyptian name. He renamed him and put him on the king, on the throne in Israel. And so... Right, it's just it's not looking great. And then all, and then when this happens, everything in the temple, the treasures of the temple, right, all of the things that would be most important to Ezekiel, because he was a fervent, faithful priest, 
all the things that would be most important to him were carried off, and not only were they carried off, they were carried off to just a, a greedy, bloodthirsty man and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And so that's kind of the circumstances of the life of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 1, it opens up, uh, a ten, so actually about 10 years, a little bit less than that, about 10 years after the events I described is where Ezekiel 1 starts. And God, excuse me, Ezekiel, he's uh, in Babylon and he has this, this vision in Ezekiel chapter 1 of God's glory. And it's just, I, this, this like, vision, this prophecy that he has is crazy. It's like you, there's these cherubim and these creatures and they're covered in eyes and they have four faces and there's fire everywhere and then there's these giant wheels and there's these wheels within wheels and it just moves about and it can see everything all at once. It goes wherever it wants. Clearly the idea that it, he's trying to communicate is that God goes wherever he wants, he sees everything, and he's glorious. And actually... This image, this, this picture that Ezekiel draws of God is, is so detailed, it's so stunning that actually, as reading this, that many Jewish uh, people, especially rabbis, actually think that this passage in Ezekiel is offensive. Because in Judaism, you weren't supposed to or allowed to make images of God. And it's so, it's just, it's so filled with imagery that... They were like, this isn't right. They actually, they actually compared it to Isaiah's uh, vision in chapter 6, which has actually kind of a lot of similarities, but they were like, no, that, that's, he left some details out. He was more humble about what he saw than Ezekiel. It's interesting. Okay, so Ezekiel, he's, he's carried off into Babylon. He has this vision. Some other things, guys, Ezekiel, as the book progresses, Ezekiel lays out judgment. Or he's, God's laying out the judgment. Ezekiel is just speaking on behalf of God. It's this harsh judgment of Israel's sin, of what they've gotten themselves into. And I mean, it's just, it's just reality. Like, he does not mince words. And once again, many of Ezekiel's prophecies are like, they're just, they don't, it's straight to the point, and it's, it's offensive. And Honestly, there's like passages in Ezekiel I can't read. In like, I, I couldn't sit up, stand up here and read in front of you all. Like, it is intense. And Ezekiel's kind of unique in that way, in the way that he prophesies and, and how just detailed and intense that he is. And the other thing that, that makes Ezekiel's prophecies hard to accept for some Jews is that Ezekiel didn't even, he's the only prophet who didn't prophesy from Israel, who didn't live in Israel, who didn't, he actually was in Babylon at the time of all of his prophecies. And so some of the things that Ezekiel did, okay, so there's some, there's a lot of sign, signs that Ezekiel performed. Uh, we're going to talk, I'm just going to kind of go, briefly go over a couple of them. So at this time when Ezekiel has this vision, he's called back uh, into ministry, essentially. Now he's a prophet. Um, and one of the things that God asks him to do, and maybe some of you have heard this before, and I, I, this is just incredible. I, I look at Ezekiel, and I'm just like, how, how did you do this? How were you this obedient? How were you this faithful to God? He's required by God to lie on his side for 390 days straight, like not allowed to, to get up. And 
he's actually tied down, too, as he does this. And, and basically, the, the, you know, you're wondering, like, well, how does he go to the bathroom? How does he eat all these things? Uh, he's, he essentially gets this little, his little, like, you know, where he can kind of cook right next to him. And he's a lot, and, I, and this is important to me. I looked this up because it says, it says the amount of food that he's, like, allowed to eat each day. And I, I just, I, I eat a lot of food. And, uh, you know, it said, like, 40 shekels of barley spelt. And, you know, and I was like, well, okay, what is that? And it turns out it's, like, eight ounces of, of, of you know, wheat and oats and barley, that kind of thing, okay? So kind of like your morning bowl of oatmeal, all right? That's what he gets to eat on a daily basis. And then I looked at, and then the water, he's allowed to drink 21 ounces of water, so about your average size water bottle a day in 390 days. And not only that, he has to cook his food over animal feces, okay? And he, he did that. And then, and then he's got 390 days, and then he has to do 40 days on his other side. And this was all to symbolize the, the siege the, the sin of, of Israel and the siege of Jerusalem. So at this point, Jerusalem's still standing. A lot of people have been, have been exiled, but the temple itself is still standing. Okay, but it's, it's shortly, it's going to be destroyed. And this is a sign of that. Um, another sign that Ezekiel uh, does is that God tells him that his wife is going to die. Abruptly, like, you know, like, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if she was sick. I don't, I don't think so. It's just like, yeah, actually, your wife is going to die, like today. And Ezekiel is commanded not to mourn for the, for the death of his wife. And the reason that it says that he commanded Ezekiel this is because he was trying to depict the utter, like, hopelessness and just horrificness of what it was going to be like when Babylon finally completely destroyed Jerusalem. Like, it will be so horrific that you won't even be able to shed a tear. You'll just, you'll just be kind of uh, dumbstruck. That's the, uh, that's the feeling that, that God is trying to elicit through this. Have you ever been so down, so depressed, like that you couldn't even, you know, gird up the strength to cry? Like, you, 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 like, want, you want to feel something, like, you, even, fine, even if it's tears, like, I'll take it. I just want to feel something. And you couldn't. That is what is the feeling when Babylon destroys Jerusalem. And so some of these, right, so we're seeing this theme, right? I know we're, I know we're going we're gonna to talk about the newness of God. Just want to touch quickly on the other things in Ezekiel. There's this judgment uh, in Ezekiel that is, a, that is a major theme. It really is. But even throughout this judgment, there's always just these little, these little blips, this little, but there, there's hope for the future. But, but God will make things new, and especially as you get more and more towards the end of the book, then it kind of just totally turns over, and it's, it's all about the future restoration of Israel. It's all about God's new creation, the new temple, a new spirit, a new heart. We're going to talk about those things. Um, there will be no more rebuilding the temple. Right? The temple has been rebuilt a couple of times. It's been destroyed. There'll be no more rededicating yourself to the covenant. There'll just be a new one. And so what this 
it makes us feel, it makes the people, well, the people just in reality were in a, a, a stage of, of feeling hopeless. Like, they're, they're in another land. I mean, at this point, there's like, there's no way Jerusalem's ever coming back. Like, that's how they have to be feeling. And hope is a very strange thing because when the difference between having no hope, like none, and this much, is like that big, right? That's the difference between those two things. And, you know, I, I believe that we prefer actually to live, so I'm going to throw this kind of weird, crazy idea at you. We prefer to live in a state of hopefulness rather than perfect contentment. And here's what, here's what I mean. I'll show you. So my wife and I, we recently went to uh, the Grand Canyon. Have you guys, we were on vacation. Have you guys, has anyone in here, raise your hand if you've been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, quite a bit of people. Sweet. Okay, what, what just maybe a couple people just shout something out. What did you think, what, what stuck, out, stuck out to you about the Grand Canyon? Just something. It's huge. Anything else? It's deep. It's beautiful. It's amazing, right? Majestic. Good, good. So I got, I got a few pictures here. And, it, and the pictures do it no just Like, I even debated just like, do I even show pictures? Because it's just like, you know, it just doesn't do it. But, you know, here's a picture of the Grand Canyon. I got a couple of them. It's, a, it's, it, it is, it's, it's like jaw-dropping. It, it, it makes you, you know, actually, maybe that's why, I, honestly, when I think about it, it's like, man, I just, I feel kind of like dumbstruck. Like, I, I can't think or say anything. All right, and then here's just proof that we were there. <laughs> okay, we, we were, in fact, there. <laughs> um, and so, it's, it's truly amazing. And the thing that, what if, what if, you know, the thing that's so amazing about it is that because it's pointing to something greater than itself. That's, that's what it's really doing because in, just imagine for a second, and this is where hope comes in. What if it wasn't? What if it wasn't pointing to anything greater than itself? What if right there, that is the peak of beauty. That is the summation of all the purpose of mankind. That is the epitome of life itself. What, what, what if there was nothing more than that? I don't know. I, fi I find that kind of like disappointing, personally. I don't know about you guys. And the moment that, you, that we realize that we just saw something great, right? It's so beautiful to see a sunset. And it's the moment that the sun sets that when you realize what you just saw was pointing to something greater than itself. When you hear something that's beautiful, that's amazing, you know, a classical piece, someone singing, it's the moment that the music stops and the crowd roars that it's like, that was like, that was angelic, that was like celestial, that was incredible. And that's because the thing that we just witnessed wasn't the thing that we were searching for. It's, 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 it's a beautiful messenger, but it's still only the messenger. 
And, and truth be told, we just aren't home yet. This world isn't our home the way that it is now. It's not, we're not home. And so that, that feeling that we have typically after we, we witness something like this is actually longing. And we actually enjoy it. And, and we search for that feeling. So we, 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 wanna, we want to hope. We want to long for something. You know, we don't want, because when we see these beautiful things, when we hear these beautiful things, we don't just want to observe them. We want to be a part of them. We want to be beautiful ourselves. Like, the thing about nature that is incredible is, and the Bible uses nature as imagery so much, in referring to, to things, because it really yeah, it's, it's, a, it's designed to, to point to something greater than itself. Nature has no ego. It's, right, the Grand Canyon is just there, but it's not screaming, look at me. It's saying, look up. How do, it's, it's amazing how it can do that. And we can, guys, we, we can be one with this, angelic beauty by the newness of God. We will by the newness of God. So, despite the circumstances of Israel during the time of the prophet Ezekiel, God makes some of the most compelling promises he's ever made. We're going to read some of those. Ezekiel 36. Go ahead and turn your Bible if you have it or follow along on the screen. All right, therefore, say to the Israelites, this is verse 22, by the way, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, it is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been, did I just, anyway, I'll just keep reading. If, I'm, if I double read something, just go with it. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and, you, and, you, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful. It will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the fields, so you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your, your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns, and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. 
The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Mm. Okay, so we're going to talk about a few things that God says in here. He says, I will make a new covenant with you. And it's, oh. So I know, I know there's this, why, why a new covenant? You know, I'm not going to dive too deeply into that, but, you know, we got the old covenant, we got the new covenant. Why a new one? Why didn't God just, you know, do it right the first time kind of thing? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know all those reasons why. But I do know that what the Bible says is that God made this new covenant at, at just the right time. That's what it says in Romans chapter 5, at just the right time. And what, and what this goes on, basically what we're hearing about this new covenant is some of the terms of the new covenant. Okay, so what, what else is involved with this new covenant? All right, well, let's see. So he talks about giving a new heart. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Let's look at, look at the language, the, what, clearly what God is trying to elicit here. See, hardness of heart is a real thing. Like some, they're heart of stone. People's heart getting hard our hearts getting hard is a real thing. I see this, uh, I might offend some people, so I'm about to say, I see this especially at old people. Ooh, sorry guys. But here, here's what I mean though. I, it, old people, either, I, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but in my observation, I, I swear, they go one way or they go the other. They're either, old people are so nice, like so it's just, it just blows me away. It's like, they're so generous, they're so kind, or they're just crotchety. <laughs> like, man, what happened to you? Like, where's your joy? Like, I think you're just more ready to, to die than to be alive. Okay, and so I, I, I just share that to show, like, especially in the long run, because we don't always notice when our hearts start getting hard right away. Uh, and so you see it, though, uh, over time, what it, what it does to people. Hopefully you guys know, know what I'm talking about. Someone who just doesn't have any joy anymore. And everything is just, you know? God's talking about a heart that loves something besides just itself. A new heart, one of flesh. You know, there was this uh, <clears throat> woman. Her name uh, is, was Juniper. And she needed, she had heart failure. And she needed a heart transplant. She needed a new heart. And she spent six months waiting in the hospital. Because it's just, there just isn't new hearts just handed out on the street corner. She waited six months in the hospital, hooked up to what's called a Berlin heart. You guys have ever seen a Berlin heart? It's this machine that acts like your heart, and there's these tubes that come outside your body. Your heart just sits outside of you. It's got these valves, and you can see your blood running through it, and you're hooked up to it. Keeps you alive. And during the six months of waiting, 
uh, Juniper en endured uh, four strokes. And just imagine uh, her loved ones just waiting anxiously. Like, when, when is the new heart going to come? Like, how long is, gonna, is, is she going to make it? Imagine how badly Juniper wants a new heart. How badly her family wants a new heart. This is Juniper. She was two weeks old when she was diagnosed with heart failure. And, th and this just makes me think I'm going to be a father soon. And when I think about how badly I would want a new heart for my child, You know, the painful thing about a heart transplant is that the greatest day for Juniper's family is the most tragic day for another. The only way you get a new heart for a baby is for a baby to die. We never fully understand something until we realize our need for it. Do you see your need for a new heart? Do you see a need for a new heart for this world? Man, spiritually, we all, we all need a heart transplant. This is our first day in kindergarten. A new heart, guys. God, God promises to us a new heart. A spirit, a new spirit. One that will be inclined to his ways, it says. A spirit not controlled by impulse and instinct, but rather governed by the word of God. You know, the spirit of man is, is, a, it is a beautiful thing. Humanity has created so many... Uh, you know, out of the spirit of man, so many awesome things, so many amazing qualities have come, have come forth out of that. But also at the same time, out of the spirit of man, it's come so many atrocities. We need, we, we need a new spirit. And God promises us, us that in Ezekiel 36. A couple of other things that God promises. So we're going to go ahead and flip over to chapter 47. This is right at, at, as Ezekiel is wrapping up. So Ezekiel has this vision. He has this vision of this man, and it's a vision of a new temple. Okay, so let's read this. Ephesians, I almost said Ephesians. Ezekiel 47.1. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. 
As the man went eastward with a, with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to my waist. He measured off another thousand and now I was in a river that I could not cross because the water had risen so deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region. It goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water then becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglam. There will be places for spreading their nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Mm. So this is a vision of a new temple. And there's this mysterious stream of water that's flowing out of it. And the further and further you get away from the source, the, the, the deeper and deeper the water gets, which, by the way, is... Supposed to be the other way around, but this is not just your normal river, okay? And it flows into the Dead Sea, where, as it's named, everything is dead. And it completely makes everything alive and just teeming with life. That's, that's, that's what the living, the living waters from God's temple do. It's a new temple. And so what, what else, any... any what place in the Bible does this imagery make you think of? It's definitely the Garden of Eden is, is the image that God is trying to relay through the prophet Ezekiel. The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, the place of paradise. The place where God himself walked amongst the garden in the cool of the day, and there were trees, and there's fruit, and it was teeming with life, and man was completely unashamed, sinless, and was with God, and it was paradise. Isaiah 44.3 says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. See, God, this new spirit, this new temple, right? Do we, where's the temple now? Where's the temple now for God's presence? Well, it's, it's in his people. It's in, it's in his disciples. And then, and then we really, and so there's kind of this uh, immediate fulfillment, and then there's this, this long-term, this eternal fulfillment of this prophecy if you look at John, uh, that's chapter 7, verse 37. 
This is Jesus speaking. He says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The waters from the temple, guys, is meant, the, it's living waters inside of us. We get a new spirit. We get, we get to be the new temple. Man, think about these promises that God's making just hundreds of years ago. Guys, and this all leads, all of this, this new, we get a new heart, there's a new covenant with a new heart and a new spirit and a new temple, and all of this leads to new creation. A, a new creation. The Ezekiel ends like this. This is the last verse in the book of Ezekiel. When it talks about, right, the, the river of life, and, and right here, this is how it ends. And from that time, the name of the city will be the Lord is there. The Lord is there. That's the difference. That is, that's the one, like, we, there's places on earth that resemble the Garden of Eden. Places where it's just tropical and beautiful. It's nothing like here, honestly. I mean, I'm talking about the, the things furthest from what is going on outside right now. Like, Oh, I want to go to Cyprus. Cyprus is like supposed to have like the, per the perfect climate. It's, anyways, <laughs> guys, right, there's places that are like kind of like paradise on earth, right? But the difference in, in the, the back-breaking difference, the game-changing difference, is that the Lord is not there. We want to be where the Lord is. And by the newness of God, we will be. So that really drew my mind to, to this passage here in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Man. Guys, we just live, we live seemingly so far from God. When I, when I, like, right, God is, is the provider of everything. But at the same time, you know, I, I work and I make money and I go to the store and I buy my food. And then I eat it. And then when I need water, I turn the faucet and I get my water. And honestly... If I were to trace where that water comes from, you know, it comes through the pipe and it comes from the water factory, and I don't really obviously know very much about where water comes from. <laughs> and, but it's just like, it seems so far from God. Like, like I can see why people think they don't need God for, for, their, for their everyday needs. Mm -hmm. 
because it's so far, it's just so far removed. So when I was a kid, I, oh man, I, when I was a kid, we, I, I lived on a small farm. And uh, a lot of our family friends, they, lived, they also lived on farms. And we were at this, my uh, a family friend's house, the, the Dunsmores. And it was winter, it was cold. We were playing outside like all day. And then we came inside, you know, and at this point we're just chilled to the bone. Like everything, you're just drenched, even like your base layer is just drenched. You've just been rolling around in the snow, having a blast. And so when we come inside, it's time for hot cocoa. Yeah. And let me tell you something about this hot cocoa. We got this hot cocoa straight from the udder of the goats. I mean, right out the teat, okay? You get the milk right from the udder, and you mix hot cocoa mix in. That, ladies and gentlemen, is hot chocolate, okay? You have, you have not, until you've had hot chocolate like that, you don't know what hot chocolate is. And that's because, right, we got it, we got it right from the source, right from the source. So imagine what it's going to be like when everything's made new, and you can literally drink from the fountain of joy. How good is that going to taste? When you can eat fruit from the tree of life, right there, from the source. It's going to be so good. You know, you won't, you won't just be happy and satisfied with God in that moment. God is going to be happy and satisfied with you. There, there's a reason that we need to be like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because from my observation, there's a short, it's usually a relatively short period of time, but in young children, there's this short period of time in their life when they will... Okay, well, let me back up. There's, there's a period of time called our whole lives where we all love compliments. We, love, we just, oh, you're, you're great. You did this. Awesome. It's like, oh, yeah, thank you. Feels good. But there's this brief period when a child will just gobble up compliments, just eat them up. And, but there's no pride and there's no ego in them. And it's because their heart is pure. And when we uh, enter into when everything is made new, our hearts will be pure. And God can say, well done. And good and faithful servant. And we, we don't have to worry about it building up our, our ego or, or our self-admiration. That won't be there. You know, it, it, is, it is possible to dwell too much on our own, our own newness. It is, right? I mean, I mean, I don't even know why, but that's just what culturally I feel and compelled to think and feel. It's like, oh, you can't, you can't like talk too much about yourself and, and all that. Like, that's just selfish. But it is not possible to overly envision and desire God's newness for somebody else. You know, the most boring, annoying person that you have ever met, someday, when God makes everything new, someday might be a creature 
so beautiful that if you saw them right now, you'd be tempted to fall on your knees and worship them. Man, each day we walk around, and, and this is reality, we all walk on the razor's edge of being made into an eternal glorious being or an eternal horror. Man, we, we have to tell people about the newness of God. Everything being made new. I mean, how, how couldn't you? And we ourselves, guys, be encouraged. We, man, we can live with such joy when our minds are fixed and focused on the newness of God, on what is coming in the future. So I live with joy and hopeful expectation of this newness, guys. You know, we live in a world that's, that's lacking hope. We really do. If you're struggling with hope today, hope in your circumstances, hope in your walk with God, hope for your marriage, hope for just for your own fruitfulness, for your own growth, man, meditate, study, bask in the newness of God. If you need hope for eternity, if you need hope for eternity, like, you don't know what's in store for you in the long term. Study the Bible. Whoever brought you out to church today, ask them to help you know God's words so that you can know his newness. Our hope in God making all things new is the bridge between now and eternity. And knowing God's newness, I believe, is, is that missing piece in living a life that's just absolutely filled with hope. Um, let's go ahead and let's, let's say a prayer. We're going to move into communion. Now let's pray. God, you, God, you give us so much hope. And that hope really stems from Jesus, God. And honestly, God, the worst day of your life, watching your son, and, and out of your covenant to us, out of the promise you made us, not being able to reach out and save him. God, because of that day, you gave us a new heart and a new spirit and made us into the temple, God. I, I just pray, Lord, at this time, we would remember the sacrifice of Christ. We would remember everything that he, that he went through, God, that you gave up for us is by your son, God, by your grace that, that we are saved. Just pray that we use this time to remember Jesus and, and what he's done for us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.